card-carrying basing at this point. Ben Alomar, Director of Sports Analytics at ESPN. Just the next to Big Poppy be like, he's just one of us, man. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal and shows you a lot about the randomness of sports. Rick Peterson, the Director of Pitching Development for the Baltimore Orioles. This is Warden Moneyball's post-game podcast. Welcome to the Wharton Morning Ball post-game podcast, your crash course of the major themes from our two-hour radio program, Wharton Money Ball, which you can hear live on Wednesdays in the morning at 8 a.m. Our show's in the morning. I'm joined by Eric Bradlow, Kate Massey, Shane Jensen. I'm Professor Adi Weiner. I'm a co-host and collaborator and professor of statistics at the Wharton School. And I'm here today to break down our show and discuss with you our top takeaways. Our show this past week featured Stephen Prather, the co-founder of Sports Source Analytics, and we had quite a few interesting conversations, including conversation on golf, lots of football, and a bit of baseball. So in our first clip, Eric Bradlow was discussing the tremendous breakout performance of three incredible rookie quarterbacks, and he noticed, he observed that for each of those three quarterbacks, they each were being coached by a NFL coach whose position as a player was quarterback. And he inferred from that that somehow there must be a connection between this tremendous rookie performance and the coach's success or field position of quarterback. Here's the clip. Preparation can... for the job is helped by someone that's been in that that's position the idea. before. That's the idea. You came up with the idea after you saw the data. That's not that's not kosher. You got to come up with the well, idea before not you really. look at that's the data. That's actually not true. If you said here we have these three quarterbacks and I'm predicting these three to be terrific because they those three. Right, have... That's a good. That's a good discussion. Good. So I'll, good. I'll give an alternative to that discussion. While the statistic may have been computed after the fact. One could argue what led the team, giving them confidence to start, was that you have a coach who's been there, done that, and can prepare them better. So I can take the opposite side of the coin and said that statistic was created by the argument that I'm making. It, yeah. It's not that I looked for that statistic after the fact. So we could we could just okay. argue both sides. I think it's so, really good. I thought it was. It, you asked me what helps them prepare. What's the cause? I just said I heard on a different radio station they came up with that argument as to why these three young players are performing well early on in their career. Yeah. So there you have it. Eric is making the argument, and I think it's a, a good argument and well supported that the performance of the three quarterbacks is at least in some measure due to the fact that their coach was also a quarterback. I was a very skeptical of that argument early on, in particular because I feel it was made after the observation. So the fundamental idea in statistics is that the data, the hypothesis has to come before the data is collected. So you don't want to be accused of snooping the data to discover hypotheses. And that and that's what uh, is what the controversy rested upon. In our next clip, we're going to be talking about under dispersion and over dispersion. And this is in baseball. And this is another observation of Eric. Clearly, we can pretty well quantify this under dispersion phenomenon you're talking about. It would be interesting to see if it actually is yeah, somehow seasons. increased over the last few years as they've introduced the second wild card that has made the uh, a great uh, that has sort of pushed a greater number of teams to think that they are in contention. By the way, with Major the League season. Baseball, since we're obviously also a business show, if we think about the business of sports, I assume Major League Baseball would be thrilled if a statistical analysis determined there was under dispersion. In other words, they for competitive reasons for I don't know people. I assume if you related 
over time, if you related under dispersion to number of fans going to the game, maybe TV viewing, etc., I would imagine it would have to be positively correlated with that. We'd have to d- define this more precisely. I don't think there's under dispersion over the entire league. The worst team c- compared to the top is more. I mean, very, what, what are you talking about? At, more at people at the goal point. It's at the yeah, goal point. The thresh- yeah. Threshold. So essentially, yeah. what you're saying is that the variance in the winning percentage of say the top six teams in each league is tighter than we would expect under un- a, some sort of logical but, but, model. But the econ- well, the economists wouldn't be surprised. They, the, they just economists would just add some incentives to yeah. the statistics, and they would get that. They would get away, that immediately. Basically. Right. So let's break it down. Uh, what Eric's observation was that there's under dispersion in the top teams in baseball. Now, what that means is the winning percentages among the best teams are very closely packed. That's what it means to be under dispersed. And, and in practical terms, that means that there's tremendous competition. And what Cade was saying is that economically, that makes sense that there should be competition and there's incentives to do well. The fundamental dilemma is that there's randomness in baseball, and that should predict more spread out or over dispersion in the winning percentages and we're not really seeing that in baseball and that's what Eric was 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 pointing out is that that's actually really good for baseball if you could show it because that implies a tremendous amount of competition and then here we are in the final week of the season and we still have quite a few teams competing for wildcard positions. Our next clip is featuring Stephen Prather, the co-founder of Sports Source Analytics, and he's going to be talking about individualized data for coaches that may be extremely graphical and coaches that may want to see tabular data in raw format to build platforms that they can interact with. How, what have you found to be useful ways to present information to people that you know, help them make some, these decisions? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And I think some of the stuff that we've tried to do is be, you know, with, with different members, it's been a little bit different. You know, and that's one thing that we've really what's helped us, too, is we work with obviously we work with about 20 different coaching staffs as well. And, and it's been kind of fascinating to see that, you know, we've, we've got several coaches who are extremely graphical, right? You know, they, they, they want the visual data. They like they like charts, they like graphs, they like the big lines. And then we got a lot of people that really don't like that at all. They just they want to see that tabular level of data. They want to see, you know, they want to see the raw data, you know, in a format. And so that's one of the things that we've tried to pride ourselves on is, you know, really adjusting our platforms to where, you know, we interact with it. And so we will spend a lot of time sitting down with that and say, okay, you know, here's how I want to see this. Can I, you know, could I pull this up side by side with this or could we pull this into that? And then we do that. And we've try to be extremely useful with, with in that way with building platforms that then can be interacted with. So Stephen is uh, is highlighting something, an interesting component of data science, which is sometimes the most important thing is just data visualization, data representation, and that different people like to see data in different formats, and that's where the investment should be made. In the next clip, Stephen's going to be talking about biometric data, which is, I think, in some sense, the newest horizon and the most um, untested horizon. Biometric data is data collected off of individuals, their weightlifting potential, their food, their, their sleep. And here he is. What battles are you kind of pushing a little bit where you see something that you think might be especially important to a team and yet they're, they're not seeing it straight away? Yeah, what, what, what I think is going to be what I think is going to be interesting is you know we've seen so many teams now they're getting really into this um, you know kind of the biometric data that you're seeing and uh-huh. what's going to be okay. really fascinating is once again this is going to be an example of you know every every team seems to be doing that right now you know it's going to be another lot of data that no one else is going to do practice and they're tracking effort and all that and I'm going to be really curious to see if there's if there's usefulness that comes out of it or is it just like cool gimmicky stuff that like hey look. 
he exerted this much, but but how can that actually be interacted with? How can it become useful in game planning and winning more games? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more teams, you know, start to use that that technology. And now it's going to be okay. How can we how can we find usefulness out of this? Mm-hmm. Well, and we- so. That's what yeah. That's what we're. I think one of the next phases we're going to look at is, is that you know. Okay, we're, now we got all this data. Now what can we do with it? Yeah, there's going to be a tremendous amount of data, biometric data, and it's not clear to me what's going to happen and how long it will take. So here is Stephen talking more about it and how long it'll take until that biometric data turns into something of value. There's a lot of biometric data, and I don't think people know what to do with it. One of the one of the probably the the most promising area is sort of rest. I think that's where yeah. that's probably yeah. we should be looking. I think they're measuring players' um, exertion on the field, and they're saying after if you don't recover, they're looking at heart rates and they're looking at sleep amounts. The problem, of course, I think is reliability. I don't think the the data is yeah. all that all that particularly reliable. And it's I think you talk about a binder as big as your head every day. Now that's <laughs> automatic, it's going to be twice as big as your head. Yeah. And I don't know what people are going to know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, my, my initial part is is like, hey. Really cool, and and I think it's one of those things that like you're going to need to fast forward ten years till you find a way to be useful with it. So, what's one of the things that Stephen talked about earlier that we didn't uh, collect a clip from is he was um, coming to an NFL team and he was talking to them about what value he can provide to them, and they would he would ask them how much data had they collected, and he would show them a binder as big as your head full of data, and he'd say that's a lot of data that corresponds to uh, what period of time, and he'd say oh that's just one game. So imagine multiplying that with biometric data. Imagine multiplying that data by 100%, 200%, 10,000%, and that's what you're looking at when you're dealing with biometric data. In our final clip, Stephen's going to be talking about where you should be concentrating your effort. One of the things that he discusses is a mismatch between the time spent in practice and the value of that practice on the field. We have what's called the Walsh ranking, and it's, Bill Walsh said that he said third down's overrated. He said the goal of a good offense is not to get to yeah, third don't down. have third down at all. There you go, yeah. exactly. So one of the things we Even look better. at, we call it our Walsh ranking. We look at what percent of your first downs come on first down plays, second down plays, third down plays. Now you can guess the worst offenses in yeah. the country every year have the highest percent of their, right. of their first downs come on third down. Yeah, right, right, right. You look at Louisville this year. Like, it's over 50% of their first downs are coming on first down plays. It's been phenomenal. It's just remarkable. They're just not you seeing know. third down at all. That's great. Exactly. So just don't get a third. Because think about it. If you think about it intuitively, the best teams in a given year are going to convert. You may have two, three teams a year that will convert more than 50% of their third down. So if a defense can just get you into third down enough, the numbers, you're going to eventually force fourth downs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just even the best teams are going to convert 50 60%. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. mean a given game they're not going to convert 80%. But just overall, if you can get to more third downs, you're going to either get teams in force them kick field goals or go for a fourth or get off the field. So the observation is that successful teams are the ones that prevent actually needing to go to a third down and a fourth down, but those who succeed on the first down and their second down conversions. The point that we aren't taking a clip from is the implication of that towards practice. If first downs are the dominant proportion of your plays, they should actually also be the dominant proportion of your practice. But an observation has been that teams are actually inversely practicing in proportion to the frequency of the play. So third downs, which are somewhat rare, are getting so much more attention than they actually deserve. And good coaches recognize that, and they practice in proportion to their observation 
and their need for those plays on the field. And I thought that was an extremely interesting observation, and we've seen that in many different sports and games as well. Um, But we'll leave that discussion for another day. So this has been another edition of the Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast. I'm your host, Professor Adi Weiner of the Wharton School of Business, and this has been another wonderful edition, and we look forward to talking with you next week. 